Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rowdy Buddhist Podcast. Uh, once again, I would like to extend my sincere thanks to everyone who has supported uh, all of our podcasts that we put out recently, and also all of our other projects. Um, just so you're aware, we, we are offering uh, some free online classes due to the epidemic. So if you have a chance, please go to seattlebuddhist.org and feel free to sign up. And once again, thank you to everyone who has given uh, monetarily towards this podcast. It's really wonderful and, and really very much uh, deeply appreciated because we use the money that we receive in order to continue to give opportunities and increase our efforts to help uh, teach the Dharma uh, to people all over the world. So with Gosho, thank you. Today we're going to talk about the second in the Eightfold Noble Path. And before we begin with the second, which would be the right intention, I'd like to just reiterate, which is really important, that when, when we look at the teachings of the Buddha, okay, they're, they're put in a certain way, uh, they're organized in a certain way, and as, as you probably know, the Buddhist teachings were not originally put onto paper, and they were orally taught. And so we have to understand them, and, and there's a logic to it that we can be able to inculcate it into our daily lives. That's why we recite sutras. And the other is how we teach it, that we're able to use uh, and help people's memory skills, that they become uh, useful in their daily life, so that they can bring it up in in reference to a situation that they may be encountering. And there, therefore, when, when we're able to do that, that reinforces our uh, right view, which was the first of the of the noble eightfold path. Now, so it's very important that when when you're working through this, and this is why I'm trying to do it in this way. I was very lucky that my sifu, uh, my Buddhist teacher, my first Buddhist teacher, taught it in such a way that we would specifically study and then try to implement each of the Eightfold Path, Noble Eightfold Path, and understand it in depth. Uh, and that means through experience. So when, you, when you're enjoying this podcast, don't just enjoy it. Take it for the week, that's why I do one a week, and, and implement it. Uh, study it, see, see what it's about. And then hopefully that allows you to then build on it when we uh, you know, give you the next explanation of the next step in the Noble Eightfold Path, because again, this is in reference to the Full and Noble Truth, and of course to the first one, the Right View, that basically the Buddha is showing us what the path is. Now, that's usually one of the big problems that a lot of Buddhists have, is that they're like, well, Buddhism is great, how do I practice it? Then usually they're given a technique or a system to practice, and that's all well and good because that, that is the practice part of it. But as Nichiren Shonen sta stated, without learning and practicing, there is no Buddhism. So it's very important that we balance and support our practice if we have a strong practice with our learning. And the same is that if you are just particularly uh, about learning or reading books or attending uh, lectures, that you balance that with actual practice. That, that's the kind of balancing that needs to happen uh, equanimity within Buddhism in order to actually grow in the practice. So, with that being said, let's move on to uh, the second of the Noble Eightfold Path, which is right intention. So, last time we discussed the right view. 
Now, the right view was being able to, like, of course, as we went f through the Four Noble Truths, it then allowed us to see, perhaps, into reality based on the Buddha's awakening, in that we would uh, awaken inside ourselves this kind of connection with this reality, this acknowledgement of the Buddha's truth uh, in teaching. And therefore, when we have that, that bodhicitta, we are aspiring towards the path. So therefore, we constantly are looking as what is the right view of the reality of the world. Is the reality of the world that it's in a great fire and that the end of kelpa of destruction is coming? Everything in the world is going to fall apart and be destroyed? Should we live according to that? Or should we look at the idea, as taught and found in the Lotus Sutra, that we have Buddha nature and that we can realize that through our lives, through learning and practicing, uh, to truly attain uh, the enlightenment and freedom of the Buddha's uh, teaching. So with the idea of right intention, this is really important because this comes down to even the idea of mindfulness. Not mindfulness in the generic sense, which we'll, we'll go into, but Buddhist mindfulness, which once we understand the right view, again, the most important is that we then set the right intention. And that means, understanding the right intention means we have to be able to distinguish. Now, it's really fascinating because it may sound really simplistic, but the Buddha during his lifetime, when and, and I see this in Master Tiantai's teaching all the time, where you think Buddhism is this really complicated structure. But actually, when one has the right view, and that one uh, studies the sutras and practices, we fine-tune our right intention and simply, when the Buddha was practicing, it was interesting, he heaped, they called it the heaps, that's the translation of these kind of piles. And Master Tiantai states that in the practice as well, through the Makashikan that he wrote, I mean, that he uh, lectured on, that uh, one was things that brought about positive, and one things that brought about negative. And it seems really ultra-simplistic, so a lot of times at the beginning I kind of just uh, went over those because I'm like, it can't be that easy, right? Because again, you know, I didn't want it to turn into some kind of religious uh, idea, dogmatism, where this is right, this is just, this is not. But what the Buddha is saying, and this is where right view comes from, where does suffering come from? What are the causes of suffering? How can suffering be overcome, the Eightfold Path? And that the Buddha simply looked at things that were contributing towards enlightenment, which were wholesome, and then you had the unwholesome things. But the difference between you and I and, and acknowledging and understanding that is that without the right view based on the Dharma, the true Dharma, we, we can't have the right intention to even know what we should be investing in. And I said it many times that Buddhism is a, a investment process, that we learn what is positive in our life and what is negative. And, and a lot of times, you know, we have to be very careful. That's why we use the teachings and our practice and our teacher to, to balance that because we're so mixed up. So the, the world is considered upside down. Our minds are considered upside down. So there's an old saying that what uh, a wise man considers good, a regular person considers bad. What a regular cons uh, person considers good, the wise man considers evil. So the idea is that whatever we're seeing, we're basing it on, of course, the three poisons of greed, hatred, and ignorance, which are, of course, blurring and destroying and corrupting our view. 
So therefore, we if we don't have the right view based on the correct teaching, as Nietzsche and Shonin said, then our attention is going to be skewed. And we won't be able to tell which heap that a specific thought or idea, uh, before it becomes an action, needs to be contained in. So back to the heaps, the interesting thing about uh, in the Makashikan with Master Chantai, which really got me, was that once somebody has the right view, he said simply, he went through all the different actions that when you want to go somewhere, right? We all want to go somewhere. So at this moment, you're probably thinking, well, after this, I'll go somewhere. Or maybe even in the middle of this lecture, you're already bored, and you're thinking about that uh, uh, restaurant or that other person you're going to go see right now, and you're waiting for this to get over. Maybe you'll put it on pause. But the idea is that in that moment, Master Chantai says, well, you should look at it simply. And, and, and the simplistic is good, especially for me. He said, if you're going to go somewhere, you should ask yourself, is this good for the way? Again, with the heaps. Is this positive? Is this meaningful? Not just for my desires, right? Not just for my wants, but is this good for the way? And if not, shouldn't go. And it's interesting because if you simply use that idea, and, and of course the Buddha used it very effectively in his life, and he said that it worked, is using it as the idea of, is this ultimately part of my right view? Is this helping? Is this a correct intention? Is this about the path or is it about suffering? Because it comes down simply to that, that even if you want your own desire, right, the three poisons, greed, hatred, and ignorance, a lot of times that's what's directing ourselves. So it's interesting, even through my own practice, and this is where the idea of right mind, uh, right intention is a kind of awareness that comes from right view, that when we want to do something, we don't just simply, uh, how do you say, spontaneously do it, or compulsively or impulsively uh, do it based on emotions, etc. We are aware, and compare it to the right view, that simply we ask ourselves, is this right intention? Is this based on the right view? Is this simply part of the path? And I'll tell you something, you'll probably save yourself a lot of time and money <laughs> if you actually ask yourself this, because most of the time uh, when, I, when I become aware of something I want to do, I ask that simple question. And a lot of times the question is, no, uh, it's not for the path. It's, it's just simply for me, for whatever I think I need or want. And it's really fascinating because at the time when I realize it, I give it up. I just say, okay, I don't, I don't give into it. I don't continue it. I acknowledge it and let it go. But the only way that you can do that is if you have a solid right view. That's why Nietzsche and Shonen was specifically emphatic about saying you have to have true faith in the Lotus Sutra because that is the true intent of the Buddha. We have to cultivate the Buddha nature or else you are moving, you are um, uh, growing, you are, you are creating action through pure delusion or ignorance, right? Which is bringing about your suffering. Now the idea of in three, there are three aspects of right intention which are important. The first one is non-anger. Uh, the second one is harmful intentions and the third is renunciation. So each of them have these specific aspects to them. Uh, if you want to go more in depth. But 
The first one is not anger, and and one teacher was very interesting because in, in a lot of modern Buddhism, this is one of the issues for people who can't read uh, Sanskrit or cannot read um, uh, Chinese characters or the original form of these words. We take the words as they were, you know, as they're translated into English, and then we make adjustments to them. But actually, a lot of times it moves people and deludes people away from the actual understanding of what the Buddha intended. And, and it puts on, because naturally, whatever is happening in the culture, and you can see this, it isn't just our culture, but through the decades with Buddhism, and this is what Nietzsche and Shonen was very specific about, that people adding things based on their wishes and desires, just another way of using a system and then turning it into dogma. So a lot of times in Buddhism in the modern times, it just has this positive spin on it all the time. That everything is just going towards the positive. Because we, in our dualistic thinking, think there is just good and bad. Like and dislike. But actually, in Buddhism, there's also a neutrality. Uh, which comes from mindfulness, this kind of unattachment. Which means that even in that moment, uh, the two things that are very specific to Buddhism are metta, and karuna, which uh, metta, of course, is uh, loving kindness, and karuna is compassion. Now, we usually think about those being having to be present. Like, for instance, a Buddhist is compassion, compassionate, practices loving kindness. But it's important that there is also a neutral state. And one of the lectures that I was watching, which kind of blew me away, it was a really great interpretation of it. The minister said that there is also a neutral state. So it's not necessarily in the positive. And, and, and I see that as a movement in Buddhism. And we can see that in a lot of the new movements of Buddhism. It's all about positive reinforcement. I get what you get because you're doing the right thing. Uh, everything in your life will turn around and be great if you just practice the Dharma. But in actuality, we as Buddhists need to understand the third factor, which is neutral. Some things are absolutely neutral. That has to do with karma and all the other principles of Buddhism. So, therefore, when something comes across us, there is a few different responses. Of course, there is the response that we use loving kindness and compassion, but there's also the response of being neutral towards something, which is, of course, in the state of awareness, there is a kind of neutrality as well. And, and of course... This is the difference between the Theravadan and the Mahayana. Mahayana speaks and, and focuses specifically on the idea of compassion because that is the way of the Bodhisattva. But in the Theravadan tradition, which is the way of the Arahat, they uh, actually try to, in a, many ways, cultivate this non-clinging, this kind of neutral type state in which they are neither led or moved by any anything that's going on in the mind. Uh, so therefore, even in the idea of right intention, it doesn't, just so you know, it doesn't always mean positive, but in the way of the Bodhisattva, though, um, the Buddha says that this is, and this is different than the path of the Arahat, which is simply the path of the Arahat has a kind of neutrality that they are able to overcome birth and death. They're no longer bound by it. But the Bodhisattva, as we see in the Lotus Sutra, actually is based on the concept and the idea of compassion, karuna. So therefore, the way of the Bodhisattva in, in Buddhism, especially Mahayana Buddhism, 
that is one of the main stances. But just so you know, that in the Theravadan tradition, they also talk about neutrality. And then through that kind of neutrality is the way of the Arahat. But in that neutrality also, just so you know, as we see in Chapter 2 Expedience, that neutrality can also make kind of an indifference. That's the idea of with somebody gaining their own peacefulness, their own equanimity, their own freedom, but not taking everyone with them. Which is interesting because the path of the Bodhisattva actually comes back into the world, whereas the path of the Arahat is neutral to the world, removed. So therefore, they're no longer locked in to the concepts of birth and death. So that, that's a really important thing that when you listen to perhaps Theravadan monks talking about this concept, they, they're, they're going to talk about it in many ways as a neutral reaction. But in the Mahayana, especially in the path of the Bodhisattva, the Lotus Sutra, we have this idea of specifically compassion when we're doing that. So the first is, of course, not anger, but that, as he was saying, is not anger, but also neutral of anger. So that means without anger, but that is very much a Theravadan concept. Then the second one is harmful intentions. This is interesting because ahimsa, that's what it's called. You may have heard of me speak about the eightfold, the eight-limbed path of yoga, right? So that's something that's in correspondence with uh, Makashikan or Master Chantai's teaching. In the idea that Buddha was a yogi, so he practiced through these eight limbs. Uh, and there are many Buddhist-inspired Buddhist uh, ideas of yoga. And in the eight limbs, the first one being the yama is the idea of uh, precepts. And in those precepts, it's very important that they they have the idea of ahimsa or the idea of uh, non-harmful intentions. So that means either the absence of or the neutralness of harmful intentions. And then the third is renunciation, which is kind of seen as the solution because obviously that has to do with the uh, absence of greed, right? So this comes back to greed, hatred, and ignorance. Okay, so... With this point, this is the Buddha would always give the um, eightfold path, but then also give insight into the more specifics of how to work through each of them, so that one person could uh, inculcate it into their understanding. And then naturally, as we move on to the next ones, which are actually part of action, like for instance, right speech, right action, etc. These are, in many ways, the the actions that come about through the intention, as I said, those heaps, or as Master Tiantai said, making a decision to go or to stay based on one's true understanding, one's true view. And through that, we can be able to change our lives. So it's very difficult to just restrain one's right speech or right action based on a, a secondary thought. So a, a thought that comes about, how do you say, immediately. Uh, so therefore, the idea is if we set the right view, the right intention, then naturally, uh, when we when we act, we'll have the right action. And that's what Master Tantai was talking about, that when we want to go somewhere, we should look at it simply, is this for the path or is this for the self? And at that moment, you have an, ab you have an ability to confirm and verify your right view and then also to deepen your intention. And intention is only grown by right view, that re, re doing it over and over over again by making 
changes in every moment. So a lot of times people look at Buddhism as a, as a massive over-life change. That, okay, if I just practice and that, it'll change everything at once. But actually, in each moment, and this is the great thing about impermanence, there's an opportunity to change. So in each moment, if you hold right view, right intention, then naturally your actions will be in accordance with the Dharma. And that's why we use the Daimoku Namumyo Horenge Kyo to inculcate, and that's why it was the great jewel, the great gift, the right, the correct medicine that we hold to our body and hang around our necks in, of the of the ignorant in the latter age, to allow us to have the right view, the right intention. But again, it doesn't mean that we're dumb. So we can, of course, cultivate and study. Uh, into that, and that, and that was what Nietzsche and Shonen really wanted us, because it can only strengthen you if you correctly use the practice. So, I hope this has been a good explanation of the second of the Eightfold Path, Right Intention, and uh, I look forward to us discussing the next one. So, I hope all of you have a really great week, and I hope all of you be well, and Namu Myoho Renge Kyo with Gasho. Thank you.